podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 2nd of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com right now and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Do also check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do check out the other podcasts from EPL Index, such as A Tad Predictable, which is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And the EPL Roundtable, which is after each Premier League match week on its own feed. Just search EPL Roundtable on your podcast provider and you will find that there. Right, folks. First things first, apologies for yesterday's pod. No energy, Not wasn't feeling very well. And it was, it was a sack of shit. Let's be honest. It was a sack of shit yesterday. Swearing, once again, necessary to describe how bad yesterday's was. Today's is going to be better. It is going to be better. And we're going to start with winners and losers from the weekend's Premier League games. Didn't get to do this because, obviously, was too busy being crap yesterday. So, first winner from the weekend, it's Arsenal. They remain top of the league. They're 12 games in. 10 wins, 1 draw, 1 defeat. The 1 defeat, I think we can all agree, was a little bit of naivety against Manchester United. Left themselves a little bit too open to counter-attacks. And it was away from home in a big six game. So it's kind of excusable. The draw, uh, Southampton is a game they should have won. But... These things will happen over the course of a season. Now, look, it's still really early. There's 26 games left in the Premier League for them. We will see what they are by March. That's when we'll really know who is who in this league season. Because of the stop-start nature of it with the World Cup, because of the condensed fixture list before the World Cup and again after it, it'll be March before it feels normal again. And we'll see where they are then. But to go out at the weekend off the back of two bad results and two poor performances against Southampton and against PSV Eindhoven in the week in the Europa League and just sweep aside Nottingham Forest was very, very impressive. Reese Nelson getting two goals is also a really good sign for them because you did feel like there were maybe one short in attack. And Reese Nelson is a player that has long been touted as somebody who could make a real impact at the Premier League level. He's never really been given opportunities for Arsenal. He's had a couple of decent loans. I wouldn't call them good or bad. They were decent loans. If you remember, when Sancho started tearing it up in the Bundesliga to begin with, Nelson was at Hoffenheim that season. And he started brilliantly. And I think he had like seven goals in the first 12 games or six goals in the first 12 games. And it tailed off a little bit with some injuries and different things. But he had a decent season. 
last season he went on loan to Feyenoord. Now, it wasn't a great season for him. He scored four goals in 32 appearances. But again, he wasn't a regular starter. He was in and out of the team quite a bit. He played a lot more regularly in Europe than he did in the Eredivisie. I think there's talent there. He's still only young. He's still only 22. be 23 in December. But if he's a player that can add something to this Arsenal group, especially for the next couple of games with Bakayo Saka injured, that could be a big boost for them. So I've got Arsenal as my first winner from the weekend. I think Newcastle have to be considered one as well. Toon have now put together a really good run of results. Only the one defeat this season away to Liverpool in unusual circumstances where Liverpool scored in the 98th minute. A game in which they'd gone ahead in and they'd played quite well in. They went on then, then that extended run of draws, which I think had some people questioning whether or not Eddie Howe could figure out how to get the attack firing. But if you look at the run they're on, they hammered Fulham, they hammered Brentford, they drew away with United, they beat Everton 1-0 at home when Everton came to just park the bus. They went to Tottenham and came away with a win. A little bit fortunate, but came away with a win. And they've now hammered Aston Villa, who were on a high after the win over Brentford. That's a really impressive run. Again, like Arsenal, I do think they're overperforming. And we'll know more about them in the second half of the season. Of course, Toon have the financial capability to go out in January and spend a significant chunk of change. We'll see what they do. They will get Isak back after the World Cup break, and that's obviously going to be a boost for them. I think they're hoping to have St. Maximin better rested through the second half of the season. By that, I mean they're looking to add someone that can take some of the burden off him. It remains to be seen if Miguel Almiron can continue on this outstanding run of form. But he has been, I think, the most improved player in the league this season. And I think we should have a most improved player award in the Premier League. Like, he's got seven goals in the league already this season, in 13 games. His career best in the Premier League before that was four. His best in any season in all competitions for Newcastle was eight. He is going to breeze past that. And it's not just the goals. It's the outlet that he gives them. His ability to pick the ball up and carry it. His ability to run in behind. His willingness to chase lost causes. It's almost like he took Jack Grealish's words personally. When a drunken Jack Grealish slurred that he had told somebody to take Mares off because he was playing like Almiron, well, Almiron is now playing like very peak Riyad Mares, like Leicester Riyad Mares. And it's really good to see. You would hope that Toon will get him locked up to a contract extension because I think it's going to be vital to them. He's been so important this season. They paid around 21 million and he is more than showing that it's taken a while. It's taken a while. It's been four and a half years. But you can see the player there. You can see what he's capable of. His career best in all competitions is 13 goals in 38 league in 38 games across all competitions. That was for Atlanta United in his last season there, before the Toon bought him. And he's well on his way to passing that this season. And if he can add a bit more creativity, which he has shown in the past he's capable of, start getting a few assists, which he doesn't have any this season so far, um, I, I think he still might have more to give. But like I say, undoubtedly the most improved player in the Premier League this season.
next winner Leeds it has to be Leeds they were in the bottom three they were in a horrible run of form Jesse Marsh was coming under a lot of criticism much of it very unfair and to turn around and put in the shift that they put in at Anfield and continue to fight to the very end to win the game and then win the game was really, really impressive. Now, when I say Marsh is getting unfair criticism, it's from both sides, both the fans and the media. Leeds fans adore Marcelo Bielsa, and rightly so. What Marcelo Bielsa did at that club, taking them over as a mid-tier championship side, elevating them immediately in his first season into a playoff, a promotion contender, then bringing them up, then keeping them up in impressive fashion. That will make him the free man of Leeds for the rest of his days. Remember, Marcelo Bielsa wasn't just another manager. Marcelo Bielsa, pre-Leeds, was one of the most revered coaches in world football. Marcelo Bielsa has an almost cult-like following for the brand of football he plays, for his personality, for how willing he is to teach And for him to decide to join Leeds in the championship was a big gamble for him and an enormous enormous coup for Leeds. Now, people will look at it and say, oh, well, you know, he he hadn't done very well before that. Like, Lille was a bit of a disaster. True. Lazio, he quit after two days because of his principles. But he did well at Marseille in his season there. People forget that he did a very good job at Athletic Bilbao, considering the financial restraints that are there, the recruitment restraints that are there, and the fact that at that point, it did just seem like a big downturn in Basque talent. But let's not forget what that team was able to do in Europe when he was there. He did great work with Chile. He did great work with the Argentinian national team. He'd previously done very good work with Velasarsfield. His methods, his methodology, and his willingness to teach is what draws people to him. And his personality is what really sells him. A very humble man a very giving man, but a man that does not put up with any nonsense. And he sort of embodied Leeds United Football Club. And he was the first real sign of life that that club had had in a long time. So for him to go there was huge. And for him to turn that club around the way he did was incredible. And I believed at the time, and I still believe to this day, that he was badly let down by Victor Orta. And it was very clear that the Jesse Marsh deal was done behind Bielsa's back before Bielsa became aware that his job was in any way under threat. They'd had a horrible run. They were 16th in the league. There were two points ahead of Burnley. Burnley had two games in hand. But he never lost the fans. You didn't get the impression he'd lost the players. He'd just been let down by Victor Orta in terms of recruitment. He hadn't recruited enough durable senior players. He'd recruited a number of injury-prone senior players and a lot of kids. He hadn't gotten them the backup for Bamford that he badly needed. And with Bamford missing most of last season through injury, Leeds had no way to score enough goals. The centre-backs that Orta had brought in, Lorente and Robin Koch, both injury-prone players. 
So he had to resort to playing the likes of Liam Cooper, who's just not very good. Didn't upgrade on Luke Ayling in time. So I think a lot of Leeds fans, no matter who had replaced Bielsa, they weren't going to take to them easily. Especially in the manner that that replacement was done. So I think that's where the fans having their doubts and having their grumbles with Jesse Marsh has largely come from. Now, don't get me wrong, the results haven't been good enough, but they've played better than their results suggested. Leeds haven't been dreadful this season. They just had a really bad run of luck. From the media side, I just think it's the bias because he's American. Because if you remember when Bob Bradley came to the Premier League with Swansea, and Bob Bradley had a pretty good track record as a manager. Bob Bradley had been around a long time. But the media were very quick to turn on him at Swansea. Now, he took over a Swansea team that were a mess. And he didn't fix it immediately. But he didn't have any real opportunity to fix it. He arrived in October. And he left just after Christmas, before the January window had opened. He wasn't given any real opportunity there. You look before that... He'd done a pretty good job with Le Havre. He'd done a pretty good job with Steybeck in Norway. He'd done a really good job with Egypt. He'd done a really good job with the US men's national team. He'd struggled with Chivas and with um, Metro Stars. There's no way to deny those things. But he'd done a very good job with Chicago Fire. Now, it was a long time before he went to... Swansea, obviously, but the truth is he'd done a good job. He did a pretty good job with LAFC. He just didn't do a job to the level that they wanted him to do. They had major ambition. They'd spent a lot of money. But he did a pretty good job there. He hasn't done particularly well with Toronto FC, it must be said. But... Bradley was never given an opportunity by the British media. There was a, almost a stigma against Americans in football. The the mocking of them calling it soccer, the refusal to accept that they might have a bit of knowledge about the game. We see this towards American fans all the time. We see British fans mocking Ameri American fans of Premier League clubs all the time because they use certain terminology but let's be under no illusions here Jesse Marsh is a really good coach and just because his tenure at Leipzig didn't go well does not diminish that he did really well in MLS he did really well with Red Bull Salzburg and he took over an awkward situation at Leipzig. One that Leipzig are still kind of in right now, which was that they'd been coached for a couple of years by Julian Nagelsmann. And Nagelsmann is maybe the most tactically quirky manager in the world. Nagelsmann never really seems to settle on one shape, one system. He wants his players able to, in-game, change between three and four different shapes, three and four different systems, three and four different ways of playing. And Jesse March had to uncoach a lot of the quirks that Nagelsmann had put in before he could really start to coach what he wanted. Because remember, there is an established Red Bull way of playing that links itself to Ralph Ranić. 
and you see Hasenhutl coaches that way, Marco Rose coaches that way, Marsh coaches that way. There's a whole bunch of them who came through the Red Bull system while Ranić was there and worked with him in one way or another. Either he was their sporting director, some of them were assistants to him. Nagelsmann was completely outside of that system. And Nagelsmann had a very different approach. And when Marsh was appointed, it was to bring Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig back to the Red Bull way of playing. And he just didn't get the time. I have no doubt Jesse Marsh would have turned that around and had success there had he been given the time. But he wasn't. And we saw Tedesco take over. He did well to begin with because that's what he does. Tedesco is the type of coach who takes over in an emergency and does really well for six months. But now he's been fired. And he was fired six weeks ago. And Marco Rose is in charge now. And Marco Rose is having some of the same issues Marsh had, trying to take those idiosyncrasies that Nagelsmann ingrained in the team and remove them. But he only got 21 games at Leipzig. And that's what people have chosen to judge him on. Rather than the 94 games he was at Salzburg or the 151 games he was with the New York Red Bulls. He's only had 25 games with Leeds. Eight wins, six draws, 11 defeats. Now, that's not bad. 31 scored, 38 conceded. Remember, he hasn't had Bamford for most of those games. So the the primary goal scorer at the club, the only real recognized goal scorer at the club, hasn't been there. And I'm fairly certain, if my maths is correct, that if you extrapolate what he's done in those 25 games over a 38-game Premier League season, it's enough to stay in the division. And considering where they were when he took over, the downward spiral they were on, I think he's managed to right the ship fairly well. Also remember, in this summer just past, Rafinha was sold and Calvin Phillips was sold. They're the two best players Leeds had by a country mile, the two best players they had. I don't think anyone would look at the signings that Marsh pushed for, Aronson and Tyler Adams, and dispute the claim that they're among the three or four best players at Leeds right now. What he did was he turned Rafinha into Sinistera and Aronson. One his pick, one Orta's pick. And he turned Phillips into Adams and Mark Rocha. One his pick, one Orta's pick. And all four of them have worked thus far. Now, Sinistera has levels to go up to show what he can do, but he's still very young. Adams is, uh, is still very young, can go up further. Um, Aronson already looks a star in the making, and he has levels to go up as well. So I think it's just far too early to be making any kind of judgment about what Jesse Marsh is doing or should do at Leeds. I think, to his credit, he's done pretty well. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that he was American... And it wasn't for the fact that Ted Lasso is one of the most popular shows on TV right now. I don't think he'd be getting anywhere near the criticism from the media. I think he'd just be allowed to get on with his work. And I think if he is allowed to get on with his work, I think he can have success there. Now, what success is at Leeds? That's open to interpretation. I would say keeping them in the division without fear of relegation year on year, would be success for now. Then you look to build all for that. Excuse me, all for that. But Leeds, absolutely a winner at the weekend. 
Losers at the weekend. Well, we have to start with Chelsea. Embarrassed by Brighton. Embarrassed. Walloped, in fact. You could tell that the Brighton players had a lot of knowledge of what Graham Potter was going to do with his Chelsea team and went about destroying them accordingly. Uh, I thought Caicedo was magnificent once again in midfield. If I was picking a team of the season right now, he would be in it. He has been that good. Um, Chelsea just looked completely at sea defensively, could easily have conceded six or seven, which against a Brighton team who are notoriously unable to score goals is a little bit of an embarrassment for them. Brighton have scored 19 goals this season in their 12 games. And four of them were in that game. And what do they put? Five past five past Leicester. So there's nine from two games, which means they're averaging a goal a game in the other 10 games they've played. Uh, frugal in front of goal. Stingy, in fact. Uh, next loser has to be Liverpool. Has to be Liverpool. I, I should include Brighton as a winner because... Chelsea took Mark Cucurella, then they took Graham Potter, and Brighton just took turned around and took their soul, took their spirit, and spanked their backsides. So I'll include Brighton as a fourth winner. Chelsea as a loser. Liverpool as a loser. How on earth do you go from beating Man City and beating West Ham to losing to Nottingham Forest and Leeds in back-to-back league games? How does that happen? That is absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking from Liverpool. No excuse for being ninth in the Premier League. Injuries are not an excuse. Well, they are. They are, by definition, an excuse. They're not an acceptable excuse. You're hiding behind that. Everyone has injuries. Everyone. Tottenham of injuries. Gamerish, Richarlison, not Kulisevsky, Richarlison, injured. City have had some injuries. Kyle Walker, John Stones, Laporte had a couple of games out. Uh, we saw, we've seen Haaland been out the last couple of games. Chelsea have injuries. Everyone has injuries. You can't hide behind it. Liverpool are where they are because of a dreadful summer where they failed to address their biggest need, which was they needed two midfielders. One starter and one for depth. They brought in none. And don't give me Arthur Mello. No. Next loser. I think it has to be Nottingham Forest. How do you go from playing as well as you as well as you did against Liverpool from a defensive point of view to just being so so poor against Arsenal? Well, the answer is you didn't really do anything different. Arsenal just realized where your weak points were. They realized that Serge Aurier isn't very good, and they realized that Steve Cook should be playing Championship or League One football at this point, and they embarrassed them. Arsenal embarrassed Nottingham Forest and carved them open time and time again with very, very simple patterns of play. Dreadful. So those will be my winners and losers. I will now take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at last night's Champions League results. We're going to look at tonight's Champions League games. We're going to take a brief moment to laugh at Glasgow Rangers. And then we'll do the gossip and be done for the day. I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, last night in the Champions League, we had eight games. Porto 2, Atletico Madrid 1. Uh, Mayday 
Tarami put Porto one up and Estekau made it two on 24 minutes. And Ivan Marcano own goal on 95 gave Atleti a little bit of hope, but it was all for nothing in the end. And Porto get the win. In the other game in that group, Leverkusen and Club Bruges played out a nil-nil draw. And what that means is that Porto topped the group. Bruges finished finish second. Leverkusen finished third. And Atletico Madrid are out of Europe. I, I can't even begin to tell you how embarrassing that must be for Simeone. That is a group they should have won. It is a tough group. Like, let's not downplay Porto and Bruges. They're good teams. But Atleti should be beating both of them. Leverkusen are not a particularly good team this season. And Atleti have no excuse. So Leverkusen go into the Europa League. And Atleti go out. Porto and Bruges into the knockout phases of the Champions League. Um, Inter Milan had an opportunity to, I think, make a bit of a marker ahead of the knockout phases. They were already through, remember? But they went to Munich and they laid a bit of an egg. Uh, Benjamin Pavard made it 1-0 to Bayern on 32 minutes. Chupamoting made it 2 on 72. And that was all she wrote. Inter have been very disappointing this season domestically. And I would imagine there is growing pressure on Simone and Zaghi. Now, having qualified for the Champions League group and a tough Champions League group when we consider that Barcelona were already in it, I think there is, that's definitely something you can point to. I just think he would have had a stronger case if they could have gone and gotten something in this game and done done something that he could really point at as a, a statement win. Especially when you consider that's a fairly heavily rotated Bayern team. Ulrich in goal, uh, Pavard as one of the centre-backs, Stanisic as a left-back, Gravenberch starting as a 10, Chupamoting up front. Like It's not, it's not the full-strength Bayern, and yet Bayern were still comfortably too good for an Inter Milan team. That, to be fair, was also... Uh, was also rotated, but foolishly so, maybe, in my view. Uh, in the other game in that group, Victoria Pleasant 2, Barcelona 4. Uh, Barca had gone 2 up. Marcus Alonso on 6 minutes. Ferran Torres on 44. Uh, Tomas Chori scored from a penalty on 51 to drag Victoria back into it. Torres again on 54 minutes. Chori made it 3-2 and set up what could have been a bit of a you know a grandstand finish. But young Pablo Torre, who joined in the summer, I think from Racing Santander, I want to say, uh, very, very highly regarded young player. Some people think he could be the next of the, you know, kind of Gavi, Pedri level talents uh, that Barca generate, having picked them up on the cheap. Um, he gets the goal and it's 4-2 and it's game over now. Worth pointing out, Barca 77% of the ball, but Plisson had 22 shots to Barca's 11. So they were countering them and countering them quite successfully at times, uh, which isn't overly uh, surprising given it was largely a rotated Barcelona team because they had no real uh, worries in this game. They were going to be in the Europa League and that was it. So Bayern through top of Group C, 18 points, a perfect record, only conceded two goals. And um, I think the funniest part of this is clean sheet against Inter, clean sheet against Barca. Conceded two to Victoria Plisson. Clean sheet against Plisson. Clean sheet against Barca. Clean sheet against Inter. Victoria Plisson are the only team to score against Bayern Munich thus far in the Champions League. And they finished bottom of the group with no points. Uh, A minus 19 goal difference. Just keep that number in mind. Minus 19. Tottenham had a big task on their hands and it became bigger when Chancel and Bemba scored a header 
on the stroke of half time to put Marseille one up, which put Marseille top of the group and Tottenham briefly into the Europa League. But a Clement Langley goal on 54 and a Pierre-Emile Hoisberg goal on 95. Spurs with their second late come-from-behind win in back-to-back games. Uh, great win for Spurs just to get themselves through. In the other game in that group, Sporting won Eintracht Frankfurt 2. Arthur put Sporting 1 up, but a Daichi Kamada penalty and a Muani goal on 72 gave Eintracht the win. And it is Eintracht who go through in second place. Tottenham top of the group, 11 points. Eintracht second, Sporting third and into the Europa League on 7. Marseille out. Final group then. Liverpool 2, Napoli 0. Good win for Liverpool, a needed win for Liverpool. The game itself meant nothing because unless Liverpool won 4-0, it was the group was ending Napoli top, Liverpool second. That is how it ends. Ajax had to go to Rangers and get at least a point to ensure that they went through and go through, they do. Uh, they went one up after four minutes, Stephen Berghaus, two up after 29 minutes, Mohamed Kudus. Uh, James Tavernier scored after 87 minutes from a penalty, but Francisco Can- Francisco Conceição, son of Sergio Conceição, the Porto manager, scored on 89 minutes to round out the result and mean that Napoli finished top, Liverpool second, both sides with 15 points, Ajax third with six points, and Rangers bottom with no points, and a goal difference of minus 20. Two goals scored, one against Liverpool in a 7-1 defeat, one against Ajax in a 3-1 defeat, 22 goals conceded, Minus 20 goal difference. Glasgow Rangers, ladies and gentlemen, the worst team in the history of the Champions League group stage. Magnificent. Worse than Victoria Plisson. At least Plisson scored five goals as well. At least they have that. They scored five goals. And that spot, as the worst team in Champions League history, is assured until at least next season, because every other team outside of Plisson, whose campaign has also come to an end, has at least one point. And none of them are at risk of a minus 20 goal difference. Absolutely embarrassing stuff. Their first Champions League campaign in 12 years, in truth, their first Champions League campaign ever, because... That last Champions League campaign, well, that was a different club, a club that went out of business. This club only really began 11 years ago, I think it was. Um, They can claim the history, but that club went out of business. That club was liquidated. So, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, Yeah. Dinamo Zagreb had previously held the record for the worst team in the history of the Champions League with a minus 19 goal difference. That's what Victoria Plisson matched this season. But Rangers going one better and minus 20 finishing very, very bottom and very, very embarrassing. Really, really poor. If you can't tell, I'm smiling. Um, Tonight, we have... Eight games in the Champions League. We have two kicking off at 5.45 UK time. Real Madrid versus Glasgow Celtic. Celtic are out. But they have two points. And barring a 14-0 defeat, will not get close to the record of the worst defensive performance in the group stage. Uh, will end up better than Rangers, no matter what. And that's all that really matters here. Uh, They will most likely lose to Real Madrid, but at least they were better than Rangers. And that's all I care about. 
Um, in the other game in that group, it is Shakhtar at home to Leipzig. This one is interesting. Leipzig have nine points. Leipzig have won their last three in a row. Shakhtar have only won one game in this group so far, but it was against Leipzig when they hammered them in the first game of the group stage. They hammered them at Leipzig. This is, it's not a home game because obviously the Ukrainian sides aren't allowed to play at home. And even at that, before the recent war in Ukraine, there was the war in the Donbass and Shakhtar haven't played at the Donbass arena really ever since it was opened. Um, I think they've been playing in Liev. So this game will be played in Poland. Uh, but if Shakhtar win, Shakhtar go through and Leipzig find themselves in the Europa League. On to the 8 o'clock games then. We have Milan at home to Red Bull Salzburg. Milan, a draw is enough to see them through. Salzburg need to win to go through. Milan will finish second even with a win. They can't overtake Chelsea because they're three points behind and Chelsea obviously dominated the head-to-head. So it is Milan or uh, Salzburg. Dinamo Zagreb, if they win and Milan win, can end up third and go into the Europa League. But as things stand right now, it's looking like Milan in the Champions League with Chelsea and Salzburg into the Europa League spots. Chelsea are home to uh, to Dinamo Zagreb. Should be a straightforward game. And you'd imagine they'll want a bit of a reaction after the embarrassing performance at the weekend. Maccabi Haifa at home to Benfica. Maccabi are out. Nothing to play for, really. They No, hang on. They could get into the Europa League. If they get a draw and Juventus lose, Maccabi go into the Europa League. So they do have something to play for. Um, but Benfica will want to win because I think they'll want to top the group. Now, as it stands, they're behind PSG on goal difference, but those two sides drew both games. If Benfica win and PSG draw the other game in this group, which is Juventus at home to PSG, then Benfica top the group and PSG go through as a runner-up. And Juventus will want to win this game because they'll want to make a bit of a mark in the campaign. Allegri is fighting for his job, regardless of what Pavel Nedved says. There's no way they're happy with how things are going at Juventus this season. And obviously, they won't know what's going on with Maccabee and Benfica. So they can't just leave it to chance that, oh, we, we lost, but, you know, Maccabee lost as well. So they've got to go and get a result. So that could be very, very interesting. That's one to keep an eye on in that group. I think the Juve PSG game could be decent. And then in the final uh, group that we've got Man City at home to Sevilla. Sevilla have been an absolute disaster this season. Uh, it should be a comfortable win for City. And you've got Copenhagen at home to Dortmund. Um, I think I'm right in saying that Sevilla owned the head-to-head against Copenhagen, so they're assured of Europa League. And Copenhagen are out. I think I'm right in saying that anyway. But yeah, those are the games tonight. Should be some good ones. I, I think there's actually some good games there tonight. Uh, I think Shakhtar Leipzig will be a lot of fun. That's the the better of the two early games. Even though, like Real play good football, Celtic always play good football. That'll be open and there'll be goals. The other one will be open. There'll be goals and it matters more. So that's the one I I advise watching in the early kickoffs, and then in the later kickoffs, Milan Salzburg has something riding on it, and I think Juve PSG could be a decent game. Um. But I'm going to watch Benfica because I want to watch Enzo Fernandez. So there's that. Uh, let's move on then. We just really have the gossip. But before we get to that, there are new reports that Wolves are back in talks with Julian, Julian Lopetegui about becoming their new manager after he turned them down last month. 
He was their first choice following the dismissal of Bruno Lage, but he oft opted to stay at home to be near his elderly family. Michael Beale was then offered the job, but he turned it down to stay with QPR. Wolves have also spoken to Nuno Espirito Santo and Peter Bose, both of whom would be poor appointments at this point. If they can get Lopetegui, he is the best manager they can get. If they can't, I think they need to bite the bullet and go and get Sean Dyche. Because it, it's getting it's getting worrisome at the moment how poor they look. And there's good players there. A lot of good players there. Now we know they have issues in attack. We know they have issues scoring goals. But there's no excuse for how easy they've become to play through. Uh, Steve Davis, the assistant, the, the caretaker, I, I think he's a moron, personally. I don't understand this team selection, don't understand what the tactical approach is. I think the guy is an idiot. Um, so he's got to go. I think he's got to go. They sacked Lage too early. They should have known that whether or not they had a, a replacement ready. And if they didn't, they should have stuck with the good manager they had. Uh, rather than giving this buffoon the job. Um, but Lopetegui will be a great appointment. And if look, if, if he ends up there and Villa have just appointed Unai Emery, it really does show the power and draw of the Premier League when really good managers are taking jobs in the lower regions. Now, Wolves are a big club and Villa are a very big club. But you look at where they are and... That wouldn't have been a draw to top managers before to take over relegation-threatened teams. Borussia Dortmund could demand a Premier League record fee of $130 million for Jude Bellingham, who is attracting interest from Manchester United, Chelsea and Liverpool, as well as Real Madrid, obviously. Uh, they could demand it. I don't think they'll get it, but I could see them getting around $110 million for him. David De Gea is willing to take a pay cut on his £375,000 a week wages to extend his stay at Manchester United. Um, the only logical explanation for that is that he would ideally like to go back to Spain. I think everybody knows that. But Real have Courtois. Atleti have Oblak. And Barca have Ter Stegen, all of whom are better goalkeepers than him. No one else could really afford him on anything over about a hundred grand a week. So, unless he was to move to Italy, maybe I don't know where he'd go because Bayern have Nauer, PSG have Donnarumma. Unless he was willing to go to Juventus, I just don't know where he'd go. Inter are going to be happy they've got Onana in. I think he's going to be the number one long-term after Handanovic is done. And obviously, Milan have Mike Magnon. I Napoli would be the other option, but I, again, they're not going to pay De Gea huge money. So, staying at United on, say, 300 grand a week is probably preferable to him than going to Italy and playing for 150 grand a week. Chelsea are favourites to sign Adrian Rabio in the January transfer market. I assume that would mean Zakaria gets cut loose. Um, Everton and Newcastle are monitoring Chelsea and Albania striker Armando Broja. Uh, really good player. Really, really good player. And I, I'd like to see him get a move and go play regularly. Uh, I wouldn't like to see him at Everton under Frankie Dottori. I, I just... Like they've got, unless Calvert Lewin is leaving, I don't really understand what the logic would be. Like, unless you're playing the two of them up front, and that's not a pairing I think would work. I could see him working, maybe it could. Maybe it could. But you'd need to get far better supply into the box to them than what we're currently seeing. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, uh, Jurgen Klopp's agent says the German has no intention of resigning. As Liverpool manager, uh, everybody knew that already. Unai Emery has signed a deal of at least four and a half years long, the longest managerial contract in Aston Villa history, 
as he pre- prepares to officially start work this week. Chelsea have launched a £30 million bid to sign Leandro Trossard. Uh, that might well just be a bit of 2 plus 2. Potter, Brighton, Trossard, Fitz, let's go. Um, but yeah, he's a, obviously a very good player. Uh, Barcelona are looking at Mikel Arteta as a potential replacement for their manager, Xavi Hernandez. What? What is this nonsense? Xavi, in a shorter time, is doing a better job at Barca than Arteta is at Arsenal. I know Arsenal are top of the league, but Barca are second behind Real in a much shorter turnaround. It took Arteta three years to make Arsenal acceptable. Xavi's done it at Barca in less than a year. Arsenal and Chelsea's hopes of signing Wilf Zaha have been boosted as he has yet to agree a contract extension at Crystal Palace, despite verbally being offered a new deal. I I, I have completely talked myself into him at Liverpool. I just have. Um, Reese Nelson says he has only some months left, oh, some months left on his contract with the Gunners and wants to sign a new deal with the club. Um, if it's if the Eddie and Ketia uh, shenanigans taught us anything, it's that Arsenal will give in. And look, they should. He's an academy-grown player. He cares about the club. He's been there since he was a kid. He will give everything he can. Just don't give him a hundred grand like you give you gave Eddie and Kethia. Tony Cruz says he has still not decided whether he will retire or extend his Real Madrid contract next summer. I would have thought Tony Cruz would have just gone to the MLS and played there for five years. Walk through those games. Uh with, with his not to disparage the league, but with his intelligence and his ability. Uh, Austrian midfielder Conrad, Conrad Lehmer, whose contract with RB Leipzig expires next summer, is ready to listen to offers from Premier League clubs. I still think he's going to Bayern. Torino's Dutch defender Per Schurz is on Liverpool's shortlist as a long-term successor for Virgil van Dijk. This is nonsense because he has been really disappointing for the last three years. He was someone Liverpool looked at years ago, like when he was 17, 18. He's not going to be in the mix now. Newcastle midfielder John Joe Shelby is set to earn a one-year contract extension worth more than three million. That's 60 grand a week. I'd be surprised if it's not significantly more. Uh, Leeds are willing to listen to offers for Adam Forshaw in January. Adam Forshaw is not a Premier League caliber player, so that's not a surprise. Uh, Right, that will do me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. I feel like today was better than yesterday. Hopefully it was. If not, we'll try again tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.